Greetings, friends. Future Andrew here, dropping into these past episodes to tell you thanks. Thanks for checking out RTAF. If you're valuing the show as a wellspring of inspiration and artistic fuel and would like to help keep the show going, you can find out more about how to do that at patreon.com slash podcast. Every little bit adds up and keeps me inspired to bring you quality content on a consistent basis. Thanks for listening, and stay creative. Salutations, my friends, and welcome to another episode of RTAF Podcast. Thanks for being here. This week's episode is brought to you by Cave People. Actual hominids who used to live in caves. That's right. They're sponsoring this episode. And in fact, they kind of sponsored all of art. They're the very first painters. So if you haven't checked out their work, I think I should check it out. Check it out. Check it out. I'm your host, Andrew Norris. And on this week's episode, we have Mike Dempsey from Madhouse Art. Mike is an avid art collector and supporter of artists who just started his own brand with the aforementioned Madhouse. If you're not familiar with Madhouse, please go check them out on Instagram. I am a part of the roster of artists that uh, Mike has been promoting and selling artwork for. We've also got Seth McMahon on there, uh, Gabriel Welch, Pharaoh, uh, and this week he's going to release some work from Molly Gardner all friends of the show and there are a lot of other dope artists that you need to go check out there in this episode we talk about uh, focusing on digital content in this pandemic year mike's journey from business school to working with artists and he shares what makes him excited about artwork and the artists themselves in the context of buying and selling art and of course we touch on nfts because hey what else can't we all stop talking about, right? But we talk about some interesting uses outside of just collecting for this new technology. Mike is a good friend and my next door neighbor, and we have sister dogs. That's right, my dog and his dog are sisters and we live next door. It's pretty, um, well, super cute, I think would be a better way to describe it rather than just kind of cute. Anyway, let's get into it. Mike, Mike Dempsey, Dempsey. I have quite the stage voice, let me tell you. You do. You do, Mike. You have... An incredible stage voice. Your time in the theater, I mean, it really, you know, I thought you should have won some Tonys. Yeah, you know, it's Maybe all some about Emmys. having the ASMR voice. Yeah, be able to captivate with just the tonalities that you're sending into their ear holes. Yeah, and like, when whenever you can make your voice sound like uh, fluttering insects or like drippy syrup, I think that's, that's really where... You'll find a lot of uh, uh, transcendent qualities in it's all about the that sounds texture. that come out of your mouth. It's all about that texture. 
Yeah, dude. Well, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. It's yeah, brother. Yeah, brother. It, um, Mike and I are neighbors. This is Mike Dempsey, by the way, everybody. Hello. Say hi, Mike. Hey, I'm Mike Dempsey. Michael for the guys in the suits. <laughs> yeah, I noticed your clubhouse name is Michael, so everybody calls you Michael, and I'm like, who are they? Oh, it's it's Dempsey. <laughs> it's nice. your boy. Yeah. No, it's a real thing. Is uh, based on how you present yourself. Everyone's reading the books by their covers on some level, and so yeah, if you can go ahead and put your best foot forward and come out professional. When people get to know you and uh, get a little more comfortable with you, then you can get to the nicknames. You can yeah, start yeah. calling me Mikey or Demps or Dempy mm. or whatever you want. So. Yeah, yeah. But just don't call me Sally. <laughs> or Al, right? Yeah, Al. I mean, maybe. You're, you're at a place where you could call me Al. We're, we're, we're close enough. We, love, we both love Paul Simon, so. Yeah. You know. Um, so, Mike, you run a, an artist collective. Yes, I do. What's yeah. it called? So uh, the collective is called Madhouse Art, uh, yeah. the Madhouse Art Collective. Um, it's a collective of artists uh, that I have personally collected works from. I've developed good personal and professional relationships over the years with, um, and folks that I wanted to uh, provide a platform for to help market and sell new artworks. Um, it's yeah. kind of been a dream of mine to to have my own gallery type situation for many years and uh you know i've i've worked with artists and for artists for a number of years and uh recent transition in life back in november of 2020 i just felt like it was the right time to pursue my dreams so that's what's up madhouse art was born yeah, yeah. so how was uh how did that time i'm i'm just assuming but like all that COVID stuff that happened, right? Like, did you have kind of time to like incubate and like think about what you wanted to do? Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, the the transition really came from uh, you know a little a little context. I've I've done artist representation. I've worked with Phil Lewis in Boulder um, and a number of other artists over the years. And uh, it's always been under someone else's umbrella. And I've also worked in the cannabis space and the CBD and hemp industry for a number of years. And so I've kind of been in and out of each on some level. And yeah. so, yeah, with, with COVID going down, it gave me time to like, you know, I think it gave a lot of us time to really look in the mirror, kind of figure out what our goals were, what we wanted to accomplish on some basis, since we didn't have the distractions, if you will, of regular day-to-day life. And uh, for me, you know, I. I wanted to open a public space, but I realized this was an interesting opportunity where I could try to bring a fresh presentation to the arts and and really focus on digital content and focus on um, one of the platforms that I'm most familiar and most trained with and most experienced with is Instagram. And Mm -hmm. so I kind of decided that would be my primary place to to share art in, uh, in a new and exciting way. Nice. Yeah, so I haven't had a podcast since I've had my puppy, and um, you guys may have heard a little bit of uh, borking in the background, and that was Io asserting her uh, existence, and it's really great, so I decided to let her come in here and chill in hopes that she would stop barking. So um, apologies in advance if we get any more... uh, shrill dog sounds you know it just brings uh brings some real character to this because you're a real person and this is a real dog and uh 
we got a real relationship here, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Io here is uh, yeah. is the sister of my dog. Uh, That's Lil- right. Yeah, we uh, we got them on the same day. We drove down to Colorado Springs to some woman's farm. Yeah. Her name yep. was Bettina. Yeah. Shouts Bettina. Shouts Bettina. Great dogs. Yep. And yeah, I think, yeah, letting her out of her, or letting her in the room was probably a good idea. She seems to be chilled out now. So... After that hiccup, Mike, you were talking about. Well, we were we were discussing COVID uh, and how that yeah, kind yeah. of was one of the uh, launch pads and, and incubation periods for this whole art project. And to segue to our sweet puppies, it was one of those things that I think as uh, as next door neighbors and homies here, we'd both talked about bringing in a family member, a furry family member. And yeah. uh, it was that perfect opportunity where the world stopped and we realized that we had the time and attention and uh, desire to do that because I was previously far, far too busy to raise, to raise an animal like that. And uh, COVID is, uh, you know, as, as tough as it's been in many ways, it's given us a lot of opportunities for things that previously didn't fit or that weren't, uh, weren't going to happen. So yeah, in the strangest way, um, you know, COVID's had these silver linings and it's been a blessing in certain ways. It's been tough in other ways, but, uh, you just got to roll with punches. Yeah. It's all about improvisation and adaptation, you know? Yeah. And yeah, man, kudos to you for, for starting Madhouse and just to let everybody know I'm, I'm a part of that, uh, right now and, and will continue to be as we're going forward here. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely excited to have you as a part of this uh, project and as a part of, you know, helping me craft my dreams and hopefully helping you get to to whatever your dreams and goals are. And um, thanks, dude. You know, it's been a it's been a fun. I think we've known each other for about seven years now. Yeah, and, I. Uh, that's one of those funny things. Like you're always, I'm always kind of racking my brain for where and when I met people mm-hmm. in Colorado, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially like right after I moved here, which was in 2012. So, yeah. uh, we I know that we haven't pinpointed the exact location. Maybe it was through Nikki. Yeah, yeah. But regardless of where and when it was, you know, obviously you enter a creative flurry in a place where a lot of creatives are attracted to, and uh, you end up just with this barrage of of uh, inspirations and meetings and opportunities that uh, just kind of fly at you so yeah you know i don't think that figuring out the exact date upon which we met is the most important thing yeah exactly but, for uh, sure we've definitely created a lot of good memories over those years yeah dude with many more to come yes yes um so I'll, i i kind of want to get into your backstory a little bit sure. um what were you doing? You said you were involved in like the cannabis industry and, uh, and other things. What, what was kind of like, uh, what was the seed that, that drew, that it like inspired you, I guess, to create, uh, an artist collective? You know, um, I guess it'd probably be easier to give a little context cause it's been this like slow brewing idea. Um, but it essentially started in, in college, I was uh, going to CU Boulder for marketing and film. And, uh, you know, I, I always loved uh, presenting things and trying to um, curate experiences that 
drive consumer decisions, you know, and that marketing brain in me is like, how do we make this person want to buy this thing? Yeah. And how do we show this off correctly? And uh, in particular, like in high school, I always loved uh, Super Bowl commercials. I thought that Mm -hmm. it was like, it was never like sell, sell, sell this thing. It was always, hey, how do we just make a piece of content that makes you love our brand? And how is it that you do that? So in college, um, I started collecting uh, functional glass art, you know, the the heady glass pipes and the heady glass scene. And uh, in Boulder, an old friend of mine um, who I hadn't seen since middle school uh, flew out to Colorado um, and was basically like, hey, I'm going to this glass event. And I found out he was like the the primary photographer of this entire uh, presentation. And this was in 2012. Um, so he helped me meet some of my favorite local artists because he was really tapped into the, the functional glass art scene um, in one of those time periods that was right before a lot of that scene really exploded. Mm. So, uh, you know, I was collecting from a couple local artists. I found him at the local head shops and, uh, he granted me the opportunity to meet, um, the artist's name is Merck, M-E-R-C, mm-hmm. Merck's Minions. And, uh, he basically interfaced and, and got me the opportunity to visit the studio space and to like really get to know the person behind the art. And it was just eye opening, and it really just enhanced my experience as a collector because Obviously, I loved the art, and I, I really enjoyed this, this thing that you got, this, right. this object. But then it just built this whole other level of appreciation um, because I got to know them personally and uh, got to create experiences, talk to them, you know, figure out, well, you know, what, what is a lot of this art about or where is this coming from or you know, how did you end up where you're at making this art? Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, I also got to see the creative processes, and that yeah. to me was with glass in particular, it's just fascinating to see something that's a solid rod of glass and you hit it with heat and it has this point where all of a sudden it's magma and yeah. then it's workable and you're taking what was a solid object and then manipulating it into different shapes and patterns. And then once you have it uh, you know, at, at the point that you want it and with glass, it's interesting, you have to keep it spinning because gravity will just gloop pull, it out. Yeah, yeah, it just pulls things in different directions. So once you reach that point where it looks like what you want it to look like, seeing it go, you know, go solid to liquid and then in an instant you're back to solid. And so that just like built this whole new level of appreciation for art in general for me. Yeah, yeah. So to get back to our, our, my life story here, um, <laughs> basically, I, I ended up uh, in the studio and Merck was inviting me back every week. And he said, hey, you know, that new piece that you just bought, come bring it by. Let's take some dabs. Let's hang out, you know. And uh, as a business student, um, I could tell that this guy was just insanely creative and, you know, yeah. had all of that side of his business kind of figured out that he could create the things, but he couldn't really properly display it you know he was taking some pictures and uh he was trying to figure out where do i market this and to whom and uh this was right around the time that i think instagram was really not born but starting to take off as a platform for art to be sold and shown Mm -hmm. as well as facebook you know facebook groups were i think formed right around then that's when that what year is this this is uh 2012 um, end nice. of 2012 ish, 13. Yeah, yeah. And so I just kind of like saw that, you know, this this very talented artist was lacking on the more structured side of the brain. He, you know, it's 
it's all about this brain balance. And uh, so he was he was very good at one side of things, but not very good at the other side of things. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, I was kind of just giving suggestions and sort of kind of throwing in my two cents because he was very perceptive to it. And, uh, you know, it ended up with him offering me a job. And it was right around a similar time where I ended up dropping out of school. I was kind of having some health complications and uh, other, other reasons why I just decided that, that pursuing education with that price tag on it was not in my best interest right. at the time. So I left school and uh, he kind of invited me on board and said, I'd love to have you help me manage this business, you know, to kind of bring in this this new uh, side and uh, help me market, help me run social media accounts, help me do photography, help me run and curate events, whether it's gallery showings or classes. Um, so I stepped into my first role working for an artist kind of unexpectedly because yeah, yeah. when I dropped out of school, I was delivering sandwiches. <laughs> I yeah, was working yeah. a Taste of Philly and, and just uh, hustling sandwiches around. So it was this really amazing opportunity for me that uh, I ended up diving into headfirst and ended up working with him for about a year and a half, almost two years. How was that experience? It was completely eye-opening and, and you know, to, to bring it forward to the future, I would not be where I'm at or doing what I'm doing or have the interests that I do yeah, yeah. had I not had these experiences. Right. And, uh, you know, I learned so much in that time, you know, going to trade shows, mm -hmm. uh, working with wholesale accounts, head shops, you know, working with collectors, uh, trying to host events and how do we display work properly? Yeah. Um, what are the artist's needs that I can kind of fill in? And uh, it was an incredible experience that really set me up for what I, I hope the rest of my life is. Here. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, that's interesting. Like, you quit school so that you could basically get... And you didn't know it at the time. You kind of made a leap of faith, right? Like, Absolutely. And, and to get like real world experience mm -hmm. rather than like sitting in a classroom and listening to some person talk about, you know, I don't know what they talk about in business school. Marketing funnels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, Which I'm sure is like useful information, but like, you know, we all, I think people nowadays like realize that real world experience is, uh, is probably the best teacher. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can, you can learn in the classroom, but until you apply it in real life and realize that not everything works out the way that it does in a textbook or written yep. on a page yeah. and being able to have successes that you learn from and that encourage you along, but also to have some failures or to have some, you know, difficult situations, whether it's a business move that doesn't work out or some sort of advertising spend that doesn't produce the ROI that you're seeking or whatever it is, like, I think that like a lot of those failures or mishaps or, uh, you know, disagreements that you're able to learn from were some of the most valuable experiences. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was a, you know, fantastic, uh, time there. Um, and so, you know, running, running parallel with a lot of the glass movement was the exploding cannabis market. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you know, I think about that a lot, you know, uh, help fund the whole thing i and it it's doing it for art too i mean absolutely yeah i think that that's part of my early success like moving out here you know mm -hmm. yeah and uh yeah you can't you can't over or underestimate i guess the uh maybe overestimate's the right word i don't know but you can't you can't overestimate the context in which you're making art mm -hmm. right like if I, you know, if I were in a small town in the Midwest or something, 
like it wouldn't have been as well received. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Same with glass blowers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whether it's like the audiences that you're in front of and the right. social circles that you're participating in and the communities that you're helping build. You know, Colorado became this uh, this place where a lot of people that were into this type of stuff congregated. Yeah. And outside of that is like, who ends up buying these expensive glass pieces? And starting out, and even to this day, a lot of it is people that are involved in cannabis businesses. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know that a lot of the Colorado art scene would be where it's at had we not had recreational legalization that brought this international view upon the state as a very cutting edge place and as right. a place that, you know, people wanted to be a part of and, and they sort of just fed off each other in those ways and continue to do so yeah. to this day. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I kind of, uh, I was working with him. I had opportunities where, um, some other friends of mine, uh, that I had known through the years that had been a part of that glass scene, but were starting legal cannabis businesses. And, uh, you know, working, working with artists is definitely going to be a, uh, I don't know. It's, it's going to be a, uh, a little more winding of a path and a little less sure than having a salary that someone's sure. laying out for you right. with the contracts written and, uh, you know, things that are a little more sure. And so, yeah. you know, after a certain amount of time, I ended up uh, stepping away from, um, from working with them. Uh, and I, I entered the, the cannabis scene kind of full on. Yeah. And, uh, were you doing marketing there too? Some marketing. I was definitely doing a lot of the hands-on stuff. I kind of yeah. developed a bit of a green thumb for a bit. So I did enjoy, uh, you know, it's the whole other learning process of yeah, like, yeah. yo, I'm going to learn about HVAC, plumbing, electric, uh, the actual botany. Shout outs know. to the garage that I now occupy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's something that I, I kind of stepped away from the art industry for a little bit. I was still taking on, you know, part-time work, gig work, uh, helping if a friend had a question or wanted me to help do some photography or to kind of do an audit of their website and say, hey, how can this look better and improve? You know, I'd still take on little projects here and there, but I was primarily in the cannabis scene. And uh, I was doing that then from about two, end of 2013 and, and beginning of 2014 through 2015. And uh, nice. that was a year where one of those businesses just kind of came to a head and we were having personal uh, differences myself and the business owners and so I was kind of like left with uh, left with this opportunity to start fresh again and I said hey you guys you know keep control of the business I'm gonna go ahead and step away because we're having these differences of opinion and personalities and uh, it was at this perfect time and uh, the person that you brought up earlier that may have introduced us is my dear friend oh, yeah. uh, Nikki. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Nick Contier. And uh basically this this friend of mine uh this was summer of 2015 uh was kind of asking, "Hey Mike, what what are you doing for your birthday?" This was on a Friday. Mm. And uh I was like, "I don't know, just <clears throat> hanging out with my friends, chilling on the couch, eating some good food, just having a good time with with people that I love." And so he says, "How about you come do that?" on the playa and i had never been to burning man i'd been nice. to festivals I'd, i i love the festival scene i love music i love the live art i love that environment and you know burning man was always this like totally elevated far out experience that was like 
festival squared and it was right. kind of this dream that i was like oh i don't know if i'm ready for that or right. when the time is going to come so nikki's like how about you come do what you want to do on the playa yeah and i was like are you kidding me bro that's in two days i don't have a ticket i don't have plans people plan for months for for the whole <laughs> year for this and he looked at me and he said well mike here's one excuse taken care of and he threw a ticket on my lap <sighs> and he said there's that what else do we need to Legend, figure out dude <laughs> absolute legend nikki i love you dude but uh so he he basically like lined me up with the perfect and uh easy access to he he said hey i got camping taken care of i have a camp that we can participate with yeah. i have a group of people that's that's going to be open arms to you and uh also a lot of people that i already knew through the glass scene so right yeah nikki just kind of like said hey come out to burning man dude and uh that week was just life-changing for me because I'm in the most immersive art experience of my life. Yeah. And I just remember, I think, uh, at whatever point, whether it was internally or talking to, to a handful of artists that I had met out there, I just, in my, in my head and in my heart, I just said, I need to get back into the art industry. I need to get back into art representation. I want to help these artists create these types of experiences because... Mm-hmm they were life-changing for me and, you know, I was going through a business breakup and whatever other, you know, personal hardships. And I came back from that just so inspired and so in love with life. And I feel like art was, was that primary therapy that, that pushed me in the direction of just like falling in love with life again and being re-inspired. Nice. And uh, so I came back from Burning Man and I said, you know what, I think it's time to get back into this somehow. So I had that brewing in my head from uh, I ended up going from Burning Man to Symbiosis a couple weeks after, and I was just kind of going with the flow, you know? Yeah, yeah. Nikki throws a ticket on your lap, and you're like, well, here we go. Yeah, yeah. And we left Burning Man, and he said, well, how about Symbiosis? It's in a week. We can stay with our friend in California. Yeah. Why go back to Colorado yet? So uh ended up going to Symbiosis. Um, at Burning Man, I ended up meeting my favorite artist, uh, Mars One, just kind of randomly. Oh, wow. Nice. And he introduced me to another uh, member of the Further Collective, Nomi. And uh, so then a couple weeks later at Symbiosis, they're building this massive amphitheater where they're going to be doing this, you know, I think it was whatever, uh, nine feet by 12 foot painting or whatever. And uh, it was it was something that was really cool because we showed up at Symbiosis and having met them two weeks before, we had the opportunity to help them finish building the installation and just you know, had another phenomenal experience. Right. And so for people who don't know, that installation is like kind of a, like a small little area or amphitheater where you get to watch um, five great psychedelic artists make a giant mural of a painting. Yeah. It's, it's like the festival stage that they have music there, but the focus is the visual art art, element. So yeah, that was just, you know, completely. Dude, do you ever, I mean, I know like, as an artist and as like a creative business person, like we, we love to talk about like hustle and grind and and all these things. And I think that's super important, but do you ever just think about like how lucky we are, you know, like Mm -hmm. had, had Nikki not given you that burning man ticket, you know, like how different would your life have been? Oh, absolutely. You think about that? All the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I try not to overthink it because a lot of the best things that have happened in my life is just by 
being open to new experiences and by trusting my intuition mm-hmm. and just not fearing the unknown of like, that's what's oh, up. well, I should probably get home from Burning Man and figure out a new job because I just gave up a whole business with my, with my previous business partners. And, and I just kind of like trusted my gut and I said, well, I got enough money to live for the month that I get back and I'll, I'll figure it out. Yeah. And just being open to like letting letting things happen and letting opportunities arise yeah and uh so yeah just, just riding I, that wave right of course you gotta yeah. ride the wave dude you gotta you gotta be open to it so i came back from that mind-blowing couple of weeks to colorado um ended up uh going up to going up to a party um at jason burris's shouts jason um, and that was where I met, uh, I met my, my partner that, uh, it was like the first truest love of my life. That was a, an amazing relationship. And so then that's, you know, spitballed into these next experiences. And it was sometime over those next few months at the end of 2015, where I knew in my head, I wanted to work with artists again. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like <clears throat> staying open to it and like, what's, what's going to come across my plate and what doors are either going to open for me or do I need to open for this to happen? And so that winter, it was like right around November. Um, I guess I didn't really get home from all of that shit from uh, end of August through the end of September. So yeah, then yeah. October was kind of this month where I was just falling in love and having, uh, you know, just kind of going with the flow there. And so by November, um, an old friend of mine was, uh, he's like, hey, you're super into art. Uh, you've been a best friend for a long time. I want to buy a piece of art for my parents, for their house. You know nice. what our house looks like. You know the neighborhood, and it's kind of in the woods, and it's cool. It's a cool house, a lot of Native American art, a lot of, a lot of just uh, really interesting vibes there. And uh, he's like, hey, I want you to find something that's a local Boulder artist and something that'll match the color palette of the house and, uh, you know, just some, someone I'll be glad to support that you think my parents will be into. That's a, lot a, of the, that's a tough one, right? Well, yeah, a lot of the art I'm into is a little bit out there, you know? So it's like... Some might call it psychedelic. Yeah, a little or bit. Or visionary yeah. or abstract. Of course. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> the person that came to mind um, was Phil Lewis. Oh, perfect. And so I, I had one in particular. Their, their house has a lot of earth tones, a lot of browns, reds, nice. oranges. And so there's this particular piece that uh, Phil has called Owsley Was Here. And it's, uh, it's a bear... And he's scratching this tree and he's kind of just looking towards the viewer, you know, almost doing like a bear smile. And he's just kind of scratching this tree and doing his bear thing. And so I showed that to my friend and he's like, this is perfect. Like, how did you select this perfect piece of art? Mm -hmm. And so uh, basically emailed back and forth with Phil, set up this sale of this piece for my friend. Um, So dudes folks they were so stoked um and he was like well i didn't think of this on my own like mike helped me find this so they were extremely excited about it and uh i was i was excited to support a local artist who i'd seen around town but right you know only met in passing once or twice and never really connected with but that was the that was the thing that that opened itself up that was the door that opened and the the thing that came across my plate where i was like you know what i'm gonna put myself out there so i emailed phil once we kind of settled the whole sale of the piece and i said hey phil just so you know i've done artist representation in the past and i would definitely love to get back into this type of work so if you ever need help doing anything let me know like i'm definitely interested in trying to help you and 
and uh, figure out if uh, this is something that you need. And Was so, this before he had uh, the physical spot? Yeah, so he was he was working in a smaller, more studio space that's in East Boulder, off the beaten path, mm-hmm. nothing super publicly facing. He was definitely doing appointments and, and private showings there, but it wasn't the gallery that he's in now. Right, right. Um, so basically, you know, this is December, kind of extended uh, correspondence into January, and, uh, you know, just email tag back and forth, ended up with Phil saying, Hey, Mike, uh, I, I think I'm actually looking for some part-time assistant, or some part-time yeah. work in the gallery, you know, packaging prints or, you know, just some basic, basic functions and uh, inventory management and just pretty, you know, simpler stuff. And of course, I, you know, I jumped right on it. He sent this job description that was pretty open-ended and, uh, you know, I'd been out of school working for artists or, or with weed for years. And so he's like, hey, send me your resume. And I was like, oh, crap. I don't, <laughs> sorry, Phil. I, d- I didn't have a resume ready at the time. <laughs> so I sat there and I was like, well, wh- what does Phil Lewis want to see on this thing? So I uh, kind of assembled my experience. Was it just like weed is tight? That's, that, that was it. Yeah, that, yeah. Was the header. that was the whole cover letter. <laughs> just said weed is tight. Phil Lewis is tight. Let me do this thing. Yeah. But no, it was, it was, uh, it was an opportunity for me to, to kind of like take a step back, uh, analyze my experiences and my education and the things that I could bring to the table for him. And so I crafted up this resume that I was pretty proud of. I thought yeah. it looked just, just absolutely proper. And I guess he agreed because, you know, day after that, he just said, Hey Mike, uh, I didn't even post the, the job description, but, uh, come in for an interview. Like you're the only one that's seen this. Nice. Come on in here. So I went in there in my professional hippie swag and, uh, yeah. Talk about that for a second. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah. This is my style. I I like to, you know, at home, I'm a sweatpants and and cozy, you know, t-shirt kind of guy. But, you know, when, again, why I am Michael to the suits is Mm. that if you go to a business meeting wearing a suit versus wearing a tracksuit or sweatpants, you get this whole different... uh, Yeah, yeah. People see you differently. ...level of seriousness. So I went into Phil's and... You know, I was wearing a collared shirt, but I was also wearing this pair of pants that my girlfriend had sewn by hand <laughs> that were like red and covered with patterns. And then my shoes uh, had some really cool ink and art on them. So like hand stitched. So it was like this, uh, this business, business professional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, business pleasure. But this business professional meets, you know, psychedelic, rad, chill dude. Yeah, I feel like that's, that's exactly like what Phil is, you know, yeah. like he's really nailed that that niche that he's in yeah Yeah, it's like very psychedelic but it's like like you said like stuff that your mom would like yeah and very very polished and very uh very approachable clean Clean cut yeah approachable it's clean cut it's clean cut but it likes to have fun yeah so yes i rolled in there for this interview and you know instead of you know obviously it'd been a while since i had an interview but i was like okay what are you supposed to do for interviews well it's really good if you have questions for them too. And I mm-hmm. tried to prepare myself with what do I think he's going to ask. And so ended up nailing the interview. And by the end of our hour discussion, he just offered me the job. He said, Sweet. I don't really think I need to look at other candidates for this thing. Let's just, let's roll with it. Wait, it was an hour. So you guys just sat there yeah, just shooting, shooting the shit. The shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Sweet. yeah, let's start with the, start with the formalities and sure, such. sure. He had his list of questions and I had my responses and my questions for him, but you know, you just end up uh, on these tangents and 
we just really connected within that first uh, formal meeting uh, enough to the point where I got the job, baby. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, end of, or I guess that was March uh, 2016. So Nice. That's, uh, we just celebrated our five-year anniversary together. Oh. But, uh, yeah, so that was, that was. So you're still doing work for Phil? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we started, uh, he had a, he had a space that was kind of East Boulder, not super public. And I started with some more basic things. Um, but as he got more comfortable with, with me in there, uh, kind of turned into like, all right, what are the responsibilities? You know, I was hungry. I was like, yo, give me more, give me more. Like, what yeah, can yeah. I do for you? So uh did the social media management for for quite some time and you know definitely found myself in in new roles um tried to bring some interesting projects to the table and new companies for him to work with and so the whole thing just kind of spitballed uh into being this this great relationship that we've had for five years now and um so that was kind of that was like that that first serious role back in the art industry and Mm -hmm. uh Basically, after about a year, I want to say, yeah, a year together, he mentioned, he's like, hey, Mike, I have this opportunity to open on Pearl Street, which is the downtown Boulder area, and uh, kind of to, to put himself in the public eye and to have a more polished setting to present his artwork. And it wasn't just like, yeah, come to my studio to pick up your print. It was... I have a public gallery that's open seven days a week mm-hmm. that passersby and tourists can walk into, fans can come into. Yeah. And uh, so that, uh, I think when we talk about, this all stemmed from what was the seed yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that was planted exactly. that led to Madhouse being a thing. And I think seeing Phil step into his own situation yeah. and taking that leap of faith and diving into you know it's a risk you're taking on overhead um, sure you're kind of there's there's more financial exposure where there's there's things that are popping up that you have to i mean pay the, for. the rent alone in yeah. in downtown boulder is just got to be astronomical yeah so that was kind of it and after uh after you know helping uh open that space up and seeing how it became this community staple Mm-hmm. Really, for the Boulder scene in particular, there's there's yeah. a lot of great uh, art galleries that are in this niche and in this community, but Boulder was somewhat lacking, and uh, so he kind of created this this place that uh, became you know the the spot in town, and uh, it really just inspired me that uh, you know hey I've I've developed these these skill sets I see you know here's how to present things here's what we want to be showing. And so that was kind of like what got my head uh, spinning with, well, yeah, it's been a phenomenal journey with Phil. And I have all these other artist friends that I've been collecting artwork from for years and years. And, uh, yeah. you know, as I got a little more comfortable with, with, uh, with Phil's situation, um, I took a dive back into the CBD hemp space um, doing marketing. But uh, at, some, at some level, I was like, how can I give back more? And how can I help all of these other artist friends who, make amazing things and who might just need the little extra push or the, the, the platform or just that little backbone. Yeah. Because for whatever reason, it's like independent artists, like, you know, it's a phenomenal thing, but for whatever reason, when there's some level of representation or you add that little check mark on the resume that you have representation or you're shown in galleries, 
it can help elevate your career. It builds, it, it builds momentum for sure. sure. And yeah. it, it makes people to some degree take you a little more seriously for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of really, I think, Phil transitioning into his own space really was like sealed the, seed. the deal like in your mind like it mm-hmm. became like a actual idea like a fully completed idea like oh like i should help out the people that i know and love who i'm already collecting art from mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. so yeah that's that's really where i think a lot of this stemmed from and again that was that was still 2017 into 2018 i think november yeah, yeah. 2017 is when we officially opened the space and yeah. uh, so you know it's it's been even years since then and uh you know i ended up kind of in the cbd world a little more than uh than i think i was expecting in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and it was really promising and yeah and uh you know i had a lot of great experiences there as well but uh you know more recently as of november 2020 the the covid summer was definitely an eye-opener and i realized you know i love the cannabis plant and it's it's helped so many people but CBD industry became very saturated and it became this kind of like, oh, just throw some CBD on it. It'll heal everything. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I had, I had a couple great years and great experiences um, working with some great companies, but uh, there was always this little part of me that was just like, yeah, but what else do you really love? And yeah, yeah. How yeah. else do you want to spend your time? And, right. Like your prime, like what, mm-hmm. what do you want to build? And I've never built my own brand fully and I've never... Yeah done something that was like my umbrella that was this is this is my project and uh, obviously i'm working with a lot of great people but it was that opportunity where towards the end of the summer um i decided to step away from from that last cbd project and uh you know it was it was a bit of a mental health break because covid was definitely hard on me but uh you know i kind of took it took a month and i was like i'm gonna take a little sabbatical we'll reassess in a month and over the course of that month it just it became clear that this was what I wanted to do. Nice. And so that seed finally burst through the ground, yeah. through the dirt. Nice. And I was like, it's, it's time. Let's, let's build a team and let's, uh, let's, uh, let's do this thing. How, how did you think about um, building your brand? Uh, I'm sure like someone who, like having gone to business school, you probably had some kind of strategy, right? Like I think a lot of artists, myself included, are just like, I'm going to paint. And then later down the line we're like what's a brand like what does that mean you know mm-hmm. so like what was your strategy if you had one so the number one thing i think that i that i focused on obviously so a uh, little context here madhouse that's just my initials uh, yeah mad michael albert dempsey Albert, Albert, okay. Albert, it's my I grandfather. Did, nice. I didn't know it was Albert. Yeah. I just assumed it was Andrew because I don't know any other A names. Hey, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so you know, the the name was crafted, um, and I had started the brand Madhouse Art LLC a couple years ago, um, just for like the consulting services and to file taxes um, for work with Phil before I was on a more official on payroll. Salary, yeah. Um, and so. It was, uh, it was something that I had the brand name and then in terms of, you know, building the, uh, the presence and the content, I realized that a lot of art is sold online now and yeah. that especially, I mean, as soon as COVID hits, it's like, we're not having gallery showings. We right. are not experiencing this in person. You can't go see people live paint at festivals and right. have the connection with the art that really made me fall in love with a lot of it 
And so one of the big things that I looked at in terms of like presentation was I need to focus on digital content and I need to go ahead and share the bits and pieces that have made me fall in love mm-hmm. with art and that made me this addictive collector because it's like the greatest addiction ever. <laughs> it's like, you know, walls are full. Let's buy some more art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I decided that uh, with the film background that I had, uh, that that was a feature that I wanted to particularly focus on. And so one of the main pieces of content with, with these Madhouse art uh, painting releases is a video that shows the artist in their studios with their creative processes. It's showing you what you'd see live painting. And And I feel like this is is something that you learned from your time with Merck, like the idea that collectors aren't just buying the piece of art, they're investing in the person and that person's process and like Mm -hmm. the story behind their art absolutely and that's one of the 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 big the big things is i appreciate story i appreciate context and uh so yeah the videos were a great way for me to almost invite the viewer into these intimate spaces and if previously someone loved going to shows and watching live painting and they're sorely lacking that it's like how can i show that to them from the comfort of their couch on their phone or desktop. Yeah. And so these videos show a little bit of that. And then also a lot of it um, was for me getting to know the artist and getting to know that it's a person that you want to support for whatever reasons. You like this person and right. you want them to keep making art and to keep being who they are. And so the videos try to give a little bit of a ooh piece of candy with here's some of their lifestyle or here's mm-hmm. something that they enjoy doing. Um, for, for your video, Andrew, I was like, hey, let's just take the dogs on a hike because yeah, that's, that's fun. Yeah, that's great. And it's something that's like, that's a very special connection that I think you and I have is that we got these sister dogs, you're a dog lover, you enjoy the outdoors. And so that, yeah. was, that was this little piece that we wanted to show. It was cold as fuck that day, dude. It was cold. I need to get better gloves out here, especially like with this snow coming in. And I don't know. We, yeah. Yeah. But that was a uh, that was good times. Like I think Io really shined in that one. Oh yeah, she's yeah. a star. Yeah, but she's uh, being a good girl right now. She's uh she's laying on her bed. This is the Io update, pup date. Yeah, the, the pup date. Yeah, she's uh I think she's sleeping even. She doesn't know I'm talking about her, so it's all good. Don't don't stir the beast. Yeah. Um. But uh, that was, but that yeah, was the whole context goal. and story. Just share that. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so that was in terms of what my curation process and like what I wanted to show because yeah. like, Hey, everyone's working on the same platform here. You get these little square boxes to show a picture or a video and you get as much text as you get. And we're all just like, all right, how do we put this out there in an appealing way? And so I wanted to make the viewer feel that sense of connection with the artist, with the art, with the processes, with the stories. Yeah. So the videos were definitely um, a piece of content that I wanted to focus on. Um, and I, and I think just to interject here real quick, that mm-hmm. that's really great advice for artists in general is that like people aren't necessarily buying the physical object, you know, they're buying you, they're buying the experience, they're buying you, they're buying the feeling that, that your, your painting or piece of art gives them. Yep. And you've got to, you've got to try and give some context, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's not necessarily the case for every artist but that's true that's true in general and of course you know you can you can never just 
blanket statement any of this but yeah for me as a collector and a lot of like this project is based on my experiences as a collector and what drew me to this with the hopes that i could create that same um vibe and attract those similar types of collectors or create those types of collectors you Mm -hmm. know someone that's into art maybe they've bought prints but they've never bought a piece of original art and yeah. to share the the things that really have me in love with it and to talk about the palpable energy that an original piece of art brings to a room that yeah. a lot of people have never experienced or they feel it or they kind of see it, yeah. but they never are able to express it. So and I'm it, here to express it. Yeah. And, and I think that's, it, it's so much more powerful coming from someone who's not the artist because it's like, of course, the artist is going to tell you like how powerful and dope their shit is. I mean, some, you know all different types of artists some are more like well i'm not that great or or whatever but like if you're trying to sell a piece to someone and you're like oh man this really ties the room together whatever blah 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 it's so much more legit like coming from a third party oh yeah you know what i mean it's like if you have someone going to bat for you Mm -hmm. that's like i'm here swinging baby yeah 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 so that's yeah that's that's some of the things that kind of went into building the brand is figuring out what I wanted the content to look like. So I had the brand yeah. name figured out. Um, originally, it was more of a consulting service. Right, and right. So the logo is, it's uh, that little house that you drew as a kid that's like, how do you draw this house with the cross uh, across it without mm-hmm. picking your pencil up and without crossing over a line twice? Mm-hmm. There's a few correct ways to do it. And then there's a lot of wrong ways or ways that you just end up messing up Mm -hmm. and so you know the logo kind of ties into my thought process of like hey there's definitely a handful of right ways to in this case build a sustainable art career there's Mm -hmm. a lot of ways to go about doing it there's definitely a lot of pitfalls and a lot of things that you can do wrong yeah and there's definitely some things that i've learned over the years that have brought artists successes in different ways and so i wanted to share those and i have my way of drawing the little house you probably have a slightly different way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I can I can show you my ways. And if that's something that ends up working for you, that's awesome. And that's what I'm yeah. trying to bring to the table. So, you know, I got the brand name. I got the logo. You start figuring out the, the content that you want to curate, which was primarily these films. Um, I also wanted to feature um, the photography on the page um, in, in the post where I post these paintings for sale. This is something that I don't really get to share with every person but is is a great opportunity to share it is yeah the way that i look at art and the way that i experience something on a gallery wall or in a museum because a lot of times you go to the museum and you got the train of people that are just going painting to painting and they're standing uh six to ten feet back from it and they're listening to their headset and they stare at the thing and that's it and then they just move on to the next one and i'm the kid in there that's like, all right, I look at it six feet back. You take it all in. All right, then I take like three, four steps forward. Yeah. And I start to dial in on the central focal points of the painting. And you go, boom, close up. And then I start picking apart details. And so the, the photography that I, that I kind of feature on the platform is in many ways the way that I would look at that piece of art in person. Right. And right. you know whether you outwardly realize it and to anyone listening – that's where my thought process is. And, you know, now you're going to look at those photos and go, oh, that is, okay, I see what you're getting at there. Oh, yeah. But so the photos that I, that I feature are, this is how I look at the painting. Um, yeah. So we have a video, we have those photos. And then the third piece of content is a photo with 
me next to the piece of art and it's just to show you how big it is right right because for scale yeah for scale because when you're online everything is the same instagram box right and even though you write 36 by 48 a lot of people don't see that yeah they don't they don't they don't i mean like if you're not a painter like you don't know necessarily you have to do the math real quick and you're like okay three by four feet but like Mm -hmm. what does that mean to anybody who who's not like a regular painter or someone who measures things all the time. You know? Sure. Yeah. So that was a, an opportunity for me to say, Hey, look, here's how big it is. Here's the next to a human being. And to kind of like give the page a little bit of personality. Cause I wanted the page to be this, this blend of professional presentation, but also personality because totally. I think it's important to, to be real. So those three pieces of content. And then that last post, uh, I talk about, my relationship with the artist or the features of the painting uh, that I like or, you know, what this body of work is or what new things that I'm seeing the artist explore. So it's just a little more of that context where it's relationship, it's stories, it's actual what's technically going on with the piece, what I like about it, what's fresh. So that's kind of like the, the foundation of the brand was, you know, these pieces of content presented in this way right um and uh you know just kind of keeping it cohesive and and doing that same triplet with each artist nice. so you end up seeing the same three types of stuff but each video is different each story is different you yeah know, each series of photographs is different so that's uh that's a little bit about what you're seeing oh yeah Nice. So when you're looking at a painting, like what does it for you? What what do you look for in a piece of art that can you describe it even? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that's a hard question because you've got I mean you've got a range of of artists. Absolutely. Um not only in in Madhouse, but like that you've collected. Yeah, and just that I'm interested in. Yeah. And uh I think obviously like the overarching uh, aesthetic or scene or whatever has evolved from the visionary scene. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's uh, paramount to all of it is that if I hadn't gone to festivals or hadn't uh, explored a lot of this particular conscious community, I wouldn't have been exposed to these aesthetics and these styles and these explorations and these mediums that, that I've come to know. And so, obviously, you know, you can go to a festival, you're going to see, you know, dozens and dozens and, you know, you see a hundred different pieces of art and artists and, uh, you know, you kind of dial in what you like and what, right. what you're into. And I think for me, I'm particularly interested in the unseen and the things that haven't been done before and the things mm-hmm. that are brave because no one's tried it quite like that or, right yeah you know, no one's exactly made anything quite like it mm-hmm. and i think a lot of that stems from you know it's like if you look at art history it was like we we started with uh painters who were trying to accurately depict the reality in front of them right and then we had cameras all of a sudden yeah, yeah and it was no yeah. longer about like how accurately can i depict this and so i think i i definitely like the impressionist movement Mm-hmm. Because it then became about this stylistic interpretation of reality, not yeah. reality itself. And so they're still like loosely basing off of what's in front of you, mm-hmm. but it became about this, uh, you know, almost quick, expressive 
rendition of it. And so things started getting a little more abstract. Mm -hmm. And so that was something like, I think early on, I was definitely interested in. Um, and, uh, in particular, I know, I know one, one piece of art that I, and it's not exactly a piece of art, but one thing that I added to my collection recently was Mm. an issue of Juxtapose magazine. Shouts Juxtapose. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I saw that. And, uh, it's a, it's a 2009 copy. You know, it's something in high school, you know, you go into the gas station, you go to the library, you go to the Barnes and Nobles and you're flipping through all the magazines that are there. And I found this, this magazine juxtaposed and I was like, wow, this is some pretty wild stuff, you know, Yeah. through elementary, middle high school. And I hadn't seen any stuff quite like that. Right. So there's this particular issue that had Mars one on the cover. And it was my first experience seeing his artwork in 2009. Wait, you, so you saw him in 2009. 2009. That's crazy. Yeah, so I didn't. Was, I didn't see those guys until 2012. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, like that era of Mars's body of work was um, a little less sci-fi, a little less digital than what we're seeing now. Yeah, yeah. but a lot of it was just these fantastical realms that uh, you know it, it brings in you know planetary vibes. It brings in organic. It brings in organic vibes. It brings mm-hmm. in you know, plant-based uh, things and yeah, yeah. alien-type, uh, I don't know, I, I want to say just not creatures, but just these these things that, like, you're pulling from one sense of, okay, that kind of looks like a tree, but then you're like, well, actually, that's this whole other thing. Yeah. And then he'd kind of morph that into these totally abstract fluid brush strokes and yeah. into these other areas that were very geometric. And mm-hmm. so... That era of his work like really stood out to me and was one of those first experiences where I saw the aesthetic that I yeah, just, yeah. that I'm all about. And so, you know, that was like one of those early experiences. But then, you know, throughout the next 10 years, you're just kind of diving through things that you're exposed to, whether it's at the festival scene or online uh, in art galleries that tend to present things that you're into. Yeah. And so generally... I'm, I'm, I found myself more into the abstract styles, um, and the things that, you know, you can see the energy in the brushstroke, you can see the expression, you can see, uh, you know, they're, they're doing something that's like, all right, this is just me trusting my intuition to just do this motion yeah, with this color mm-hmm. that's making, you know, and when you look at it, you're like, wow that makes me excited or that color palette just gives me this like warm feeling. And so a lot of the stuff I'm into is largely abstract, but I do like a lot of work. I particularly like your work and and a lot of the artists have this fusion of bringing in some subjects and Mm -hmm. some depictions of, you know, characters or nature or subjects. um, Yeah. But, but kind of blends the two areas. So that's in particular, like the aesthetic that I'm, that I'm into and a lot of the stuff that I collect. Yeah. Um, Is that how you select artists basically just based on their style? A lot of it. Yeah. The, the primary things that, uh, that I looked at were the aesthetics. Um, and then a lot of it was like the relationships that I built with the artists and, and people that, you know, I, I feel like really close to that, uh, that I, I want to help, you know, bring to that next level. And, uh, so yeah, it was, it was like the aesthetics. I wanted a cohesive, um, uh, group of, of artists that 
the way that I kind of like went from one artist to the next, there's definitely artists on the roster that pair well together more so than others. Mm -hmm. And I tried to like create this visual journey that goes through these different, uh, these different pairings, if you will. And, uh, you know, so I think, uh, trying to find the things that worked well in, in tandem with each other and to go ahead and go from, you know, Chris Bolin, whose work is, you know, it's, it's got these uh, almost space scenes and abstract landscapes and expressive brushstrokes. Um, and then into Brendan, that's this, this purely um, abstract expressionism uh, with, you know, Bull's work has these swoops, these like yeah. rounded curved brushstrokes. And then Brendan works primarily with a round shape. And then just kind of like going one after another in this way that tied it together well. So mm-hmm. it's not like I went from Bolin, who's doing this thing straight into someone that's painting figures or yeah portraits or something yeah exactly so i I tried to make a point of like tying things together in this logical order that when you look at it all from a step back you're like wow there's a lot of different styles going on here and there's a lot of different voices Mm -hmm. but there's some central thread that like ties them all together and leads from one to the other it's mushrooms of course, Dude, it's it's uh, no, it's 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 that we've all uh, found these ways of of uh, expression that are a little outside of the box, and uh, that I think for me it was very important for the artists that were on board to like have found their voice and to found to have found something that's like uniquely theirs, and that's tough to say, is because every artist on some level is like kind of seeing what's around them and digesting sure, the influences. Sure. But I wanted to find artists that were very much um, on their own, on their own stees and that were doing something that was different and unique and uh, brought something new to the table. So yeah. that was important for me to kind of have that level. And uh, so that was, that was in there. Um, and then also uh, part of my selection process too was, based on, you know, it's the relationships with the people and folks that I've met and had good experiences with and that, that uh, you know, I've kind of just, like, digested as these are good people that, that mm-hmm. I love. But uh, one thing that came to mind was um, I, wanted to, I wanted to help artists that, like, needed that little bit of edge. Um, folks that maybe didn't have the massive followerships, you know, uh, are the one member um, that I released through Cell One Mm. Uh, he had 900 followers when I found him and he's got this totally, totally rad style that no one else is really doing and doing. And it's like, yeah, the world needs to see this. And so I made a point of like selecting artists. Obviously you have a, you have a a solid fan base and, uh, you know, Seth McMahon and, uh, Gabriel Welch that are on board. Mm -hmm. They, they were definitely like the bigger swingers with followership, but didn't exactly have a staple gallery representative and they weren't like there wasn't this like determined allegiance that like this is who i work with so i made a point of like trying to pick people who whether they were like overlooked by the gallery scene or never found the right thing or they had put pieces in a couple shows here and there but largely folks that i thought this could really help give them the backbone that they need to get to that next level Nice. So, uh, you know, it's, it's aesthetic, it's relationship. And then a lot of it is like, do you, will this, will this help? Cause there's certain mm-hmm. painters out there. Like I, I love so many of these guys that have found 
big success in the scene. And uh, but I think, do they need my help selling paintings as much as someone else? Right. So yeah. I I definitely wanted to find uh, find people that uh, were were in that just launching point where they're just ready to go and there's all this like momentum that's building and they just need this this springboard to go ahead and launch them into the into the stratosphere so yeah those are kind of like where a lot of the selections uh have come from so yeah um do 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 what other uh are you working on any other projects like what do you have in mind with like the the nft space that's just opened up oh there's That's, a can of worms. Oh boy. There's Pandora's backs. Here you. goes the next three hours. Get comfortable, everybody. Yeah, we're just gonna turn on Clubhouse and everybody can just Yeah. Listen. <laughs> no, uh Hi, it, my name's Mike. I'm a NFT consultant. I'm an NFT consultant, a seven figure earner. Yeah. <laughs> we we love trolling the the new social media app Clubhouse because it's an amazing platform, but it is. It is shouts, big shouts. Big shouts, but we, there's there's parts and pieces of it that we love to troll on but yeah there's a i'll just go ahead and talk about that for a second please do yeah like uh i like to have a good time you know it's kind of a status grab right now because it's an early uh whatchamacallit an early platform what's an early platform that is invite only right it's invite only and it's also um just audio i know i've i'm pretty sure i've talked about this before on the podcast but um so that's what I love about it is that it's all audio. And mm-hmm. so there's no like getting confused about someone's intention with their text and like Yeah, you get the tone of voice for sure. Yeah. But like you get to hear if they're nervous in front of this big audience. Oh yeah. Or whether I, they're just confident with themselves. Yeah. I I'm definitely usually nervous. I usually fall into the nervous category i think but, yeah so what we opened up with this, this shaky voice yeah. uh, or i just like i lose my breath in there i'm just like and then mm-hmm. um yeah but, um but one thing that happens is that people will go into a room with you know big name artists or celebrities or whatever and they'll just go on about their they'll just be like hi i'm this and totally out of context from what the conversation was and they'll just tell their life story yeah and so uh sometimes yeah they'll be fielding questions they'll be like all right so does anyone have any questions about uh how to mint an nft and so they'll invite someone uh to to the talking stage and Mm -hmm. and it's it's that there's moderators there's a handful of moderators that start these rooms and open up the dialogue and then there's an audience that's listening to the conversation unfold yeah and uh yeah you end up with this uh this uh, thing that keeps happening in every, you know, not every room, but it, it's uh, it's a cycle that as soon as they say, hey, well, please go ahead and introduce yourselves and then ask your question. And four minutes later, you're just like, okay, are you done introducing yourself? I thought you had a question. I didn't know that you wanted to talk about all of your life achievements in front of this captive audience. And, yeah, and that's yeah. okay. Like the uh, thing is- We all want validation, right? Yeah. Like, and I I'm mean, the marketing guy. I'm here yeah, like, yeah. hey- you got to gas yourself up. You yeah, got to sure. talk about how cool you are because if you don't believe in yourself, who else is going to? And if you're not in some ways validating yourself, you know, are you going to get taken seriously? Right, 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 right. But it ends up being this like vicious There's cycle. There's a line of, too, you know? like Yeah, just knowing when it's like, okay, we get it. You're important too. Everyone's important, but like ask your question. Like let's right, just yeah, keep yeah. things rolling here. Yeah. So, 
you know it's I, a funny i mean like something I i've it. noticed is that like people are really all about status you know sure. it's like they really love status we love to be noticed and to be like on the in the cool club or whatever mm-hmm. you know and i don't know it's funny i just I just find that like a a very human thing, a very like universally human thing. Yeah, it's that the little bit of ego that like you know, it's like uh, it's sad level, but uh, some of the more successful, whether it's artists or people or whatever, like there is that little bit of ego that's driving you. Yeah, that is like, hey, look at me, because you know, a closed mouth doesn't get fed. That's so, for sure. Yeah, it's a weird yeah. thing where it's you, a paradox, or like there's got to be a, some balance there. When you have to find the tactful ways to do it, right? Without, exactly. You know, there's the other there's the other day. There's this room with uh, James Jean, who's definitely a favorite artist I mean, of he's, mine. Yeah. He's <laughs> million followers, and Matt Gondek, and you know a lot of big names. Crayola was in there. I yeah, Crayola. Great. Let's just name drop for the rest of the episode. Yo, dude, notice me, Senpai. There's, there's yeah, exactly. That's the whole thing is that like people don't go on these introductory rants when it's like you know the homies me and mike and some other random people or whoever in a room yeah but then you get it's like oh, oh there's there's a lot of legends in the room like now's my chance yeah and that's a weird thing and that's cool i mean but it's just you know it's all about taste i think well like and that's <laughs> so to get back to this was you know i uh I definitely saw the heads in the room and it was an interesting conversation that was, that was developing. And so I did the little raise hand feature to try and go from the audience up to the uh, speaker's platform. And, and it is cool that people are getting like the chance to speak in front of their heroes. You know, like I was up there in the, the talking audience. I had my mic muted the whole time, but it was like, yeah, you're given this opportunity. Right. And, and it's, it's a very real thing because, you know, commenting on someone's picture on Instagram or sending them a DM is not the same level of connection that you're getting with. Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, it's like in some weird senses, all it takes is that one really killer point or that really proper intellectual statement where senpai does notice you and all of a sudden (laughs) you're having you know you got so-and-so's number or the gallerist that you've always like wanted to work with is like looking at you all of a sudden so a lot of people have found that this is an amazing way to network right and so you know back on that conversation i I like got into the audience or i got from audience to speaker level moderator level and i think part of it was you know my picture on there i'm standing next to an alex gray original that i have and sure i very deliberately use that as my picture yeah but yeah i end up at the at the speaking level and you know basically i could have sat there with my closed mouth waiting to be fed but yeah i found like the break in the conversation to go ahead and uh you know hop in and and instead of just being like, oh, hey, you guys, well, really quick, I'm Mike. Yeah. This is my project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me do, go ahead. I just like tried to be pretty tactful with it and just kept the conversation going. And I went ahead That's and put up. in my two cents and I said, hey, here's my perspective that I think is valid and uh, that I have something to add to the dialogue here. That, and you uh, did, too. That was the thing. It wasn't just like something out of yeah. left field, you know? Yeah. And so I, I you know, I, I tried to balance as much of my ego that hates that part of clubhouse with like, mm-hmm. all right, just stick to the point. Yeah. Yeah. Make some good points here. Keep the conversation going. Anyone yeah. that wants to notice it will and like actually contribute to the thing right. without breaking up this tangent. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I tried to just speak my part and then you know i went back and forth with uh, a particular person that was in there and we had we had a good uh, bit of talking points and then 
I kind of just uh, moved back to, to muted mode. But, uh, you know, I could have sat there and went, well, now that I have the floor, guys, yeah, yeah. look at how important Just real I am. quick, I've got a project called Madhouse. I already, what, Yo, I everyone go follow me. Yeah. And uh, here's, yeah. Uh, here's everyone I've worked with, and here's my pedigree. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely a fine balance there. And, like, as a weirdo marketing head, I realized that what's a cool thing for me to be able to do for the artists that I'm working with is to gas them up because not everyone wants to sit there and like fight their ego and talk about themselves so i get the opportunity to talk about you guys right and uh i get the opportunity to that's kind of how i've always been it's just like let the work speak for itself more or less and like Mm -hmm. unless you got a little story to throw in there um in terms of like what does this painting mean or what what are you going for with this piece of work yeah um but yeah i don't know that's just something i you know we joke about so it's we love like, joking about i love house. letting people in on inside jokes until it becomes like one giant inside joke yeah you know so exactly let everybody in on the fun yeah we exactly. want everybody to enjoy this as much as we do so that's a pretty good segue uh into nfts right because sure i mean clubhouse is basically like a 24 7 ted talk on <laughs> nfts <laughs> as far as i can tell oh yeah i mean there's other rooms there's cool uh psychedelic rooms they have like a microdosing uh room or like a psychedelic room every friday at like noon yeah and i mean you you select your topics that you're interested yeah. in when you go in there so if you're interested in astrophysics and fitness yeah. and you'll politics, find people yeah. you'll find people that are having serious conversations about those topics in particular andrew and i uh love art and right. we love right. the creative uh spaces so a lot of our a lot of the rooms and conversations that pop up on our feeds are related to that. Yeah. But since the NFT craze is taking the world by storm, it happens to be this like cycle of hearing these conversations over and over and over. And uh, yeah, because they're, you know, more people are getting interested in it. And, well, and because it's groundbreaking, like this yeah. is going to change not only the art world, but I'm convinced that non-fungible tokens are going to change the way that we define ownership of things right. in the world. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So it's an exciting topic. The, point, the, you know? the actual point you made the other night about how Elon Musk invested over a billion dollars into Bitcoin and um, about how you think... Well, I'll let you tell it. Okay. You know. Yeah, so... Uh, Andrew and I uh, live uh, actually right down the street from a brand new Tesla dealership. And so one of the things that I... Don't get it twisted, though. Like, we don't live in, like, no, we're, a we're, nice we're in old town. Yeah, we're, we're old watching, town Superior. We're watching the gentrification of Superior around <laughs> us. The, the cow pasture is now million-dollar houses. <laughs> yeah. But uh, basically, the, the point that I had to make was that the, the way that NFTs kind of function is, you know... Have, have you discussed NFTs on here? yes definitely um i think first with nfn kalyan because he's released stuff through nifty gateway yeah yeah. and um and you know i think that ali's episode will come out before yours so people will have you know in three weeks time when this is released people should have a pretty good grip on it i'd say yeah so essentially what i'm seeing though is one of the things that I'm interested in with the NFT space is providing a certificate of authenticity yeah, and yeah. A, a true proof of ownership as well as a uh, history of the ownership of that item. Right. And so, you know, it's like if you get a piece of original art, um, there's, there's people that will print certificates of authenticity for their, their prints or their pieces of art right. that 
it's just them printing a piece of paper and there's right. no actual legal binding, binding yeah. to it mm-hmm. and it's just really a presentation thing and i'm all about that like no no knocking on that i love seeing that i right. love seeing people that are trying to elevate their presentation yeah. to make it look more serious or more legit but then there's like true certificates of authenticity and so yeah, like yeah. when you get a certificate of authenticity with a van gogh painting or whatever it's like hey the gallery that sold you that or the the, the conduit that for the, through which you bought that they've hired an expert appraiser whose right. whole career is based on looking at van gogh paintings and determining that this is a real van gogh painting versus what a, a fake what a job right yeah like, and and what it comes down to is whoever is uh in that line of work they have the the authority right? they have the authority um and and it's and it's a risk because if you're gonna make your whole career based on authenticating multi-million dollar paintings you can't be wrong once right you don't get the luxury <laughs> of being wrong once because yeah. then no one's ever going to trust you again yeah and so basically with living artists you'll get hey here's the gallery that did this they have a notary who will legally watch signatures happen and sign it themselves to say, hey, I was in the presence of this and can determine that this is legally binding. That's like what a notary does. Mm -hmm. And you'll have the gallerist sign it and then you'll have the artist sign it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, obviously you can kind of forge signatures, but if you have those levels of legal, you know, uh, protection, that's a real certificate of authenticity. And that's like that is legit and so what nfts kind of offer you know uh obviously it's a great uh it's a great opportunity for digital artists but a lot of what i work with is like analog art mediums it's it's physical Mm -hmm. paintings it's physical objects yeah and so by minting a non-fungible token as this certificate of authenticity you're basically saying hey this living artist minted this through this platform this is from their wallet they are saying that this is real. So if you get a painting, and big shouts to Ali, um, her presentation recently was a physical painting that is minted, so it comes with a non-fungible token. So you get the token in your Ethereum wallet that says, I own this piece of art, and then you get the physical piece of art that you physically hold in your hands, uh, the, the NFT came with a, s- a short animation, which mm-hmm. is really cool. So it was this physical thing backed with a, uh, entirely digital blockchain, um, oriented piece of content. And then she also augmented the painting with augmented reality. So you could hold up your phone with a particular right. AR app and it would play right. that animation over top of the real thing that's in front of you. Yeah. So it like hit on so many levels. So like big shouts, that was one of the the favorite pieces that i've seen coming out of this for sure but for you sure. know for i've i've thought about like do i want to mint and do i want to tokenize um every piece that i release through madhouse and i'm i'm interested in doing so for those reasons that like yeah i could sign a piece of paper i could have the artist sign a piece of paper i could go through the levels of getting it done legally to uphold to what a real certificate of authenticity is but why not just put it on the blockchain? Yeah, Because, yeah. yeah, if that artist is minting that and then you receive this painting that you buy through Madhouse Art and it comes with this token of ownership in your wallet, you know, whatever could happen to the painting. Hey, if, if your painting gets stolen off your wall or something, pops up in the, the black market <laughs> of art, no one's taking that out of your digital wallet. Right. If you're, if you're careful. Yeah. If you've, I mean, if you've been a good custodian to your, to your 
wallets. Yeah, it's just another level of like authenticating and yeah. uh, protecting like owners or like collectors' rights, I guess. Absolutely. And you know, getting back to like Tesla, right? Like, yeah, we didn't dive into that. <laughs> that's all right. But so the whole idea there is that like, you know, Elon Musk is obviously very future thinking forward facing. He will, what you were saying in that clubhouse room actually was that every Tesla will probably come with like proof of ownership via nft absolutely yeah. i i'm fully confident in that and if they're not already thinking that uh elon kimball whoever is in the boulder <laughs> area hire me i will take over the head of marketing of tesla yeah uh, but no it's it's something <laughs> where like when you think about how you own a car it's a piece of paper that's a title right. and it's it's uh handed out by the uh, manufacturer and you get this piece of paper if you're paying off your car loan the bank hangs onto that piece of paper until you finish your payments yeah and as soon as you do you are given ownership and custody of a piece of paper <laughs> that you then throw in a bank vault. How archaic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, everything's going paperless. Everything's going digital. Right. Uh, everything's backed up multiple times, whether it's data servers, you know, you have your stuff stored on the cloud with Apple. Well, they have three backups of that in case one of their data centers catches on fire. Right. So what's interesting with this ownership token that we discussed in that room was that Obviously, Elon Musk, he owns a car company and he's very interested in crypto space. And uh, his, one of his other uh, inventions and f things that he founded is, is PayPal. And they were the first finan major financial institution to essentially integrate cryptocurrencies. And yeah. so I'm just like, yo, if Elon Musk isn't already thinking about basically giving your VIN number for your Tesla an NFT that proves ownership so that, yo, if your Tesla gets stolen, you have you go to the police and you have this in your in your Ethereum wallet that says that VIN number and that Tesla is mine and here's right. the proof. Because if you leave your, I unfortunately had a friend whose car got stolen out of his driveway a couple weeks ago. Was it a Tesla? No, it's not a Tesla. Oh. It's nice. <laughs> it was a nice Toyota Tacoma. But I I kind of first thing I asked was like, oh bro, is your is your title in the glove box because that's like that's where a lot of people keep their titles exactly i know i do fuck i'm I mean, not doing that anymore yeah but <laughs> you know if you think about it it's like where do you keep the title that you feel safe about it that's accessible or whatever yeah yeah and so you know it, it just seems archaic that yeah we're, we're counting on a piece of paper that also yo pieces of paper can kind of be forged totally and uh, absolutely duplicated replicated and falsified right right so by by backing up the ownership of your tesla or your your car or whatever on the blockchain that's decentralized that's that's you know universally kept up by thousands or millions of points of contact yeah, yeah. you know it's not just the bank and the car dealership that says right. yep this guy owns this it's everyone it's like everyone knows all these um well what adjectives do, do i want to use here it's all these like dispassionate points of like digital code mm -hmm. that are saying no this this is who owns this yeah it's not like here's the ledger it's not some here's shifty used car salesman or like mm -hmm. some giant corporate bank that you know is international and yeah it's returning power to the people yeah and it, and it's for all the people that wish to participate in it yeah versus being these these points of power or points of contact that have traditionally been the ones that, that call the shots and mm -hmm. that, that determine what's what. Yeah. So 
yeah, you know, in the art space, it's definitely fascinating, but I'm seeing further applications for NFTs that, you know, everyone's crazed about the art stuff right now because Beeple's selling. There's a giant bubble that's definitely about is. to pop. Oh, I mean, yeah. maybe not soon, but like next we'll few months, we'll, we'll see. see. Yeah. And, and, and we're Speculative at the, markets. We're at the tip of the iceberg here. And, yeah. and it's, it's an emerging technology. It's an emerging market. It's an emerging everything that not everyone even knows what the hell we're going to do with this stuff yet or right. what all the applications for it are. Right, but I right. do see that, especially for vehicles, and in this case, Tesla in particular, they'll be the first to adopt it because Elon's interested in this space and invested in this space. But I'm seeing that real estate will begin to be tokenized mm. and real estate will be minted on the blockchain with mm. you know, a smart contract on the Ethereum blockchain that says, hey, here's your monthly payments and we're going to go ahead and automatically, you know, we can set up right. automatic payments or you send your payments from this wallet address to this wallet address for the owner of the house. And the smart contract will prevail. If you meet the payments and you follow along with the things, eventually transfer of ownership will happen via the blockchain according to the smart contract that was written. Right. And so after your 20 year, 30 year mortgage, boom, you get the NFT for your house and then you own that. And yeah. then you no longer have to worry about where the uh, where the the deed to your house is, right. whether it's locked in a bank vault or kept stuffed in your mattress. <laughs> like it's on the blockchain, so right. you can access it from your phone or anyone's phone or computer. Right. And so I, I'm just seeing like far larger applications for that technology than just the art that we're seeing now. Yeah. But I am, for know, sure. I am really excited because, in particular, I've always been about one of one objects, things mm-hmm. that are originals, if you will. Yeah, I love prints. I love making art accessible in every way possible. But uh, my personal preferences, I like collecting the thing that's like the one. Oh yeah, and for it sure. has the hand touch on it. Mm-hmm. And so, for digital artists, previously, you know, I work for a primarily digital artist, Phil Lewis, mm-hmm. and so you know, it's it's interesting that by by you know minting these digital pieces of art you can say this is a one of one because you're the only one that's going to get it and here's what's special about it even though it is a bunch of ones and zeros and it's a it's a jpeg or it's an animation mp4 or whatever piece of content you technically could replicate it infinite times but by isn't there a way that you can write that into the smart contract that the just cuz the i mean Ali and I discussed this yesterday, but um, like ownership doesn't mean you have licensing rights. No. And I want to stress that. Absolutely. Doesn't mean you can, you know, you buy this Android Jones NFT. It doesn't mean you can go print t-shirts with that art on it. Right. Yeah. He still owns the rights to the art. You just own, you have the provenance that this one is is yours. Yeah. 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 So it's the same as when you sell a painting. So mm-hmm. exactly. I, I think that's important to stress just because, you know, it bears repeating just because I know some artists are very like hesitant and like I saw someone said like, oh, well, if I, you know, I've been trying to sell my, my art, some pieces in my art collection and I want to mint those as an NFT, but they're other people's arts. And it's like, just as long as that person's not, uh, licensing it and not trying to think that they can duplicate it and make money off those duplications. Mm -hmm. Like it's always good to talk to the artist too, because 
you'll need to write them into the smart contract so that they get royalties. Mm -hmm. Cause that's the biggest thing. I mean, that's one of the most exciting things from my point of view about all this is that like, no, if your art sells again on the secondary market, you get like a 10% cut. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's something that in the, the high art, the fine art world that's previously, uh, you know, whether it pisses an artist off seeing, hey, I sold this to such and such collector for $1,000 and then they turned and flipped it for $10,000 and you don't see a dime of that. And right. Why is the person that's reselling it actually making more money than you did in the first place for creating it? Right. And it's really, um, there's a particular film that uh, we, got, we got this uh, captive audience, uh, but it's a film that I've been uh, sharing with a lot of the artists uh, on, on this roster because of, the fascinating points that it brings up. It's a documentary called The Price of Everything. And it oh, dives yeah. into a lot of these yeah. topics in terms of, you know, how do art and money relate? And then also, you know, there's, there's particular examples of, uh, they bring up the, one of the main uh, art shows that was a transition between the high art market that's spending millions of dollars at Christie's and Sotheby's it was a transition from, hey, all the old masters, like if you wanted a Rembrandt, well, there's only X amount of paintings that exist, mm -hmm. period. And as soon as those sell and find their homes, like those traditionally sought after pieces just started disappearing. And so the transition from that into contemporary art being the next big market because it's continuing to be produced and it's living people that you can meet and interact with. But basically, this one dude is, uh, I forget what his job was, but successful stockbroker or something, just this New York socialite kind of guy. And yeah. so he had a massive collection of contemporary living artists. And he had bought things for whatever prices he did. You know, I go, oh, I got this for $1,000, got this for five or $10,000. And he put on a show in New York and invited all of his rich buddies to it. And he put whatever price tags he wanted on there. Yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden, and he invited a lot of the artists that he collected from to the show. And there's this clip in there where the one guy approaches him and he's just like, yo, man, I see you just sold this piece for 50K. You got it for $2,000. Like, I'm feeling pretty slighted here. Like, Can don't I, I cut? Yeah. yeah, don't I get something from this? And <laughs> the collector who put that show on, his point was, well, look what I just did to your market. Your next painting that you sell directly to this person, you get all 50,000. Yeah, and so he made but, a point that was like mm, trying to be defensive about it. That was like, hey, here's why I think I did nothing wrong. There's a lot to unpack there. Of course. <laughs> but I think what, what we're getting back to here is that the NFT provides the opportunity. If that sale is done in this manner, right? all of a sudden the artist is getting 10% of that. You're so if 5,000 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if the, if the profit from it was $48,000, you're getting 10% of that. The artist is going to receive $4,800 of cryptocurrency in their wallet automatically. Yeah. As Without to, any mussing or fussing, you know. Yeah, like, it just happens yeah. because of how that contract is written. So I think that is, you know, like you're saying, Andrew, that's a really valuable part of what that provides is right. the royalties, is the opportunity for you to benefit from the resale instead of it just being like, oh, look, someone else resold and yay, my value went up or I got, uh, I got in a new home or something. But you actually receive some financial incentive for that secondary market. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's, it is awesome to see that. And uh, 
you know, there's a, they, they interview a lot of the folks from Christie's in that, you know, they get the auctioner, they get the head of the auction house. And uh, there's, there's a, a woman that, uh, you know, she sells her works for, I don't know, between, I want to say 10 and 50K. But then she's sitting there watching this auction unfold and sees her piece sell for over half a million dollars. And she just kind of goes, whoa, like, I guess I just got to take that how it is. Like, yeah, man. hooray, but yeah. it's hard to see. It's like, it's like Annie, who I'm going to have on soon. She minted Beeple's mm-hmm. first NFTs and sold them for like something in the hundreds of dollars Yep, and didn't take any cut. Mm-mm. And now he just, he just made like, nearly 70 million dollars yesterday oh he well, didn't he didn't, he didn't make that much the but sale the sale was nearly 70 million do you Third. know how much he made was it 35 or 34 or something like that so i i don't know what that contract was written i thought it was a 10 or 15 percent of each resale no but i mean um because it was an auction through christie's yeah it was yeah. an nft auction through christie's yeah the final sale price was, after was 69.3 i think just to be, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, right in there. about it. Yeah. Also, uh, my homie's been joking about missed opportunities. Should have just bid sixty nine million four hundred twenty thousand. But uh, <laughs> whatever. That's our that's our missed opportunity. But yeah, we're talking about like the third largest art sale from a living artist in history. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. And it's a digital artist. Eat that, Jeff Coons. Yeah. Sorry, Jeffy. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh it's really exciting that we're seeing this unfold, you know? And uh, I think it's got everyone excited about these opportunities that are arising for us. And everyone's kind of like trying to get after it right now because everyone wants to follow in those footsteps and ride that wave that is raging right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't know too, like involving Christie's in a big auction like that is, I mean, it's obviously beneficial for, for people and i don't know how many of us could have turned down christie's being like well, no we want to help you sell your pieces yeah but it's also like reinviting a middleman back into the space sure and uh i think a lot of that was uh just establishing the seriousness of what was going on because there are those things we kind of dipped into it earlier is that a gallery or an auction house or whatever does give this little bit of resume that yep. these multi multi million dollar buyers think you're serious because yeah, you're yeah. actually through these platforms that have traditionally been the gatekeepers and been the ones that have determined what's cool and what's good and what's and the valuable. Value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I think uh, yeah, that was an interesting one because the 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 highest bidders they announced who the winner was today, and it was the guy that started a uh, a crypto application called MetaPurse. And the guy that was the guy that got outbid was the one that created a uh, a token or a coin called Tron. Who Tron? He's yeah. kind of a scam artist. Oh, is he? I, aside, anyways, it was it was a bunch of people that are involved in the crypto space that yeah, yeah. probably didn't need uh, Christie's, Christie's to be yeah. a part of it, anyways. Right. right, right. But what it did is it's again Christie's is kind of just this international name, and it right. brought so much awareness to it, and it mm-hmm. brought this massive marketing platform that you know i don't know who's publishing a lot of the articles and whether it was pushed from a pr standpoint on the back end or whether it was everyone wanting to dip into it as journalists and say this is exciting news that we just want to cover right yeah. but a lot of that yeah. is you know when you when you're when you're launching a new body of work or you're doing a gallery show or you're putting something new out 
I think, you know, having this like marketing reach and this, uh, it's important, this platform and this, this whole thing that, that is a full on presentation that brings awareness beyond just the people who are bidding on it. Like we got, we got average Joes across America talking about this right Right, now. They they don't, they're not in the art market or industry whatsoever, but everyone's hearing about it because that platform is huge. Christie's is huge, but also I think the dollar amounts is definitely a big hype to it right now too, is everyone's just like, holy shit. Like we're seeing insane numbers pulled here. Yeah. So it's like NBA money. Yeah. That's funny though. Right. Like, uh, I just had this thought, like, you know, I don't know how much LeBron James makes per year, but like, I don't want to know, but it's LeBron. yeah, it's probably more than like half of that people auction. Right. I mean, I don't know. It seems like sports figures get, you know, they get paid out the ass and like a hundred million dollar a year contracts. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I don't don't know where LeBron's at, but I mean, he must be up there, right? There are sports figures that, yeah, uh, yeah whether it's just for playing or it's for playing and their endorsements with Nike and Adidas and whatnot, like they're making, they're making hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Yeah. So, you know, so it's, it's kind of high time that like art superstars got fucking paid that much, you know? So where are you trying to go now or next, I guess next is what, what kind of, which like your dream project or what's your goal? So there's definitely like steps to this. Um, I think some of my big goals uh, in particular, and what I'm seeing is that uh, like I love the the places that we came from. I love the festival scene. I love the visionary art scene. But one of the big tags with the project and the aesthetic and the style and the direction I want to go is post-visionary. And I see that we we almost pigeonhole ourselves into the scenes that we're in in a lot of ways. Right. And Boulder's right there in our backyard. Google just built this massive campus. Uh, and so I, I'm just seeing that like to help all these artists that I, that I work with get to that next level of like struggling to sell a $10,000 painting. Like I want to tap into new markets of appreciation and introduce new people to this stuff that they maybe haven't even seen. Yeah, yeah. And so uh i think on some level like a five-year goal for me is to have a booth at scope in miami oh, shit. and uh big you know, goals to, to get to get into that that art basil like next level thing where we're no longer going to the you know and we can still hit the sonic blooms of the world i love them they're, mm-hmm. they're my bread and butter i have so much fun at them but i want to like be able to take the steps past that and to be able to present this art in a totally new context because i think you know there is a lot of really cool cutting edge contemporary art out there and i think so much of the struggle in terms of like well what makes this a five thousand dollar painting or a fifty thousand dollar painting once it's refined enough and once the quality is there and the style and the voice is unique enough it's really about who you're showing it to absolutely so you know how many kids go into the festivals have 50 g's for a painting and it's very very few it's almost none it's really close to zero yeah it's very close to zero no I mean, offense to anybody i mean you and i definitely don't have 50 grand for a painting either i mean no like, we're, we're lumping ourselves in this category too yeah i mean that's that's where i'm at and so i want to be able to tap into these new markets whether it's the tech industry and like trying to 
connect with the executives at Google in Boulder yeah. that will say, oh yeah, we have this entrance way and we need a 15 foot by five foot painting and our budget's $100,000. And to be able to provide that opportunity for an artist yeah, yeah. or a mural space or whatever. So whether it's tech industry or real estate developers or just like finding like, how is it that we can like level up and graduate and step into these new markets that can sustain that level of, uh, you know, financial prosperity. Because, you know, it's, it's definitely selling art is hard, man. Oh, yeah, dude. There's this quote, I forget who it is, but they're just like, hey, all that, all that you know, selling art is, is stealing some space on a rich guy's wall. Yeah. And I forget who says this, but it's, it's, it's fascinating that, like, the same item art is subjective and art can kind of be what you say it is. And as long as you provide the value for it and show that, you know, the history of this artist selling pieces that sustain that price point, you know, like Beeple's never going to sell these like hundred dollar prints again because of what just happened. Right. And so will he be able to sustain million dollar pieces? I hope so. And I think so based on what's happening. Right. But I want to help everyone get out of this cycle of like, struggling to sell their pieces for a couple hundred bucks and tap yeah. into new uh, markets of people and new audiences that can support this, that they just, they don't even know that it exists yet or that they need it. Right. And to like create that connection with it to the point where they see their new favorite piece from an artist that they just started uh, getting into and they have to have it. And to them, it's like $10,000 just a drop in the pond. Right. And there's no question. There's no low balls. There's no whatever. Right, it's right, like right. done. So I think like, yeah, that five-year goal is like scope or something of that level. Yeah. But on a shorter term basis, like my, my main goal with, with the project right now is build this audience as fast as possible. Because if we're going to keep developing and, and um, putting out content, I want as many people as possible to see it. Sure. So like I yeah. tried to create explosive audience growth at the beginning. Uh, which is, you know, I got my little tactics that uh, mm. seem to be working. Yeah. And to just grow the audience as fast as possible, to share this with as many eyes as possible. Nice. So we've introduced 12 artists, um, and I'm very excited. Uh, in April, I'll be uh, introducing four additional artists. Nice. Um, we're going to be kind of taking a lap back through uh, everyone that's on board. Um, websites launching here at the end of March. So. That's uh, something that's been a development here, and and uh, I'm excited to kind of like have that uh, have that piece that's so vital. Artists have a business card, have a website. Yeah, yeah. People will take you a little more seriously. Totally. But uh, yeah, you know, short term is website launch, um, introducing four new artists, uh, releasing more paintings with the artists that have um, already. We've we've kind of taken a lap through uh, the first releases, um, and just continuing to build this roster up uh to uh within the first two years will be 24 artists um that i will uh i will kind of have on board and uh eventually in the next you know i want to i want to say year and a half uh but a lot of this is contingent on what happens with the pandemic and how things open back up and at what timeline but right now there is no physical space for madhouse Art. right right, right. it's appointment only out of my home it's private showings so the goal is to have a public space that passersby, tourists, friends, uh, art collectors, appreciators from all over can actually visit for set hours. And they know, hey, we're open 
seven days a week and these are the hours and we can come here and do this nice um, and experience this art in person so that's kind of in the one to two year goal is to actually open a, a physical space start throwing events where we can have new bodies of work from these artists um, group shows um, i'd like to do an international show that's all international artists in the next two three years mm-hmm. um so you know there's definitely like little building blocks along the way and so you know, I'm uh, I'm just super grateful to have worked with and to be continuing to work with uh, some amazing creators. And, uh, you know, we're just taking it a step at a time here and building on it and building on it and working hard. You know, that's the number one thing is you got a vision, you got an idea, you got to put the work in. That's right. So oh, we'd, yeah. be, we'd be busting ass here to make it happen. And yeah, I'm excited to see where this thing goes in a year, two years, five years. And uh, same to continue to support the arts. So. That's what's up, man. Tell people where they can uh, find you. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. It's at mad.house underscore art. Uh, The website is madhouseart.co. That'll be out later this month. Nice. Um, Yeah, if you want to chat and shoot the shit, come find me on Facebook, Mike Dempsey, um, and I'll see you out there. All right, awesome, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks everybody for listening. We'll check you later. Bye. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Who picked up a paintbrush? (laughs) I can't.